all these famous women like adopting like right baker's dozens <laughs> josephine baker's dozens <laughs> josephine baker's dozens of children That's oh, my, oh my josephine baker's dozens no of we're not doing that but i'll definitely i'll definitely make that the intro <laughs> Hi, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Josephine Baker's Dozens. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. It's Steven here along with the other Steve. Hey. And Ryan. Hey. <laughs> And Diet Shasta Orange. <laughs> you would not believe how bad that just hurt my finger to get that. <laughs> That's the curse of the Shasta. No, it's uh, it's a Goose Island IPA. Oh, I love Goose. Yeah, you can't be, good. by the way, you can't be a bearded man and hurt your finger when you're opening a fucking can. <laughs> well, you gotta be I like have dainty, delicate fingers. Grizzled, some grizzled mountain man who opens beers with like his teeth that are remaining. Listen, I you shot open the fucking red fucking beers with my your beard. Like you just get it under the lip and just rip up. Are you? I would say, are you? Are you implying that he's like uh, Medusa from Marvel Comics that he can just you know whip around what's, people with his hair? What's that? What's what's Marvel Comics? Huh? I said Medusa from Marvel Comics. <laughs> what is Marvel Comics though? <laughs> God, I just heard uh, a million people just furiously start typing on their keyboards. <laughs> I feel you don't know what Marvel Comics is? I feel hate legs coming. Because I, I, was, I was saying, you know, the one from Marvel Comics as opposed to the mythological Medusa. Yeah, I don't know the one from Marvel Comics at all. I, I, I have never, I don't even think I've seen it before. She's She's kind of boring. Yeah, because yeah, we've um, never heard of her, so that could but be I didn't want to be the the Poochie Rider guy. It's like it's like we want the hound from hell, or the original <laughs> hound. We the hound from hell. Are we? we uh, <laughs> Care Barris. Are we? Uh, what is our topic this week? We're going to be talking about Josephine Baker. I thought you were about to say Josephus. Yeah, we're talking about Josephus. <laughs> <laughs> Josephine Baker, who's that? Is she a Marvel comic? No, she was not, but she was a bit of a superhero. We'll we'll get to that. Okay. I heard she was a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. She did have <laughs> she did have a lot of uh dalliances start- with many partners, but okay, well okay, so she was a little bit, you know, fast and loose. That's fine. Um I I googled Josephine Baker. I, I googled image searchers. Just take a quick look at what she looked like. Just kind of get an idea in my head before we did this. Holy shit, she's a fox, dude. Yeah, she's hot. Yeah, Holy she. Shit, she is smoking, bro. I like the quotes Google brought up. By the way, uh, I wasn't really naked. I simply didn't have any clothes on. This is my kind of chick. That's some <laughs> WC Field shit right there. Here's my cream, and I was his coffee. Wow. Yep. Okay, let's get. Into I this. am not. A Marvel comic character. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, we're going to keep said, both hands on the am, table for this podcast. <laughs> I am. I am not like the Marvel comics character Medusa, or oh my god, <laughs> or the character from Greek myth. I actually, uh, yeah, I've never heard of her before, but I have seen her face. Yeah, she's she's pretty well. Um, she she's somewhat well known. 
Um, more so, I would say in Europe, and we'll get to that than in the U.S. Yeah, because um, she's but, a she's a, she's a Josephine Baker, isn't she? Well, she she was born in America. She was born on <laughs> June third, nineteen oh six, in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, her her we know who her mother was. Um, her mother was named uh, Frida uh, Josephine McDonald, um, but we're not really sure who her father was. Uh, her estate officially said that her that her father was this vaudeville drummer named Eddie Carson. But that is, that is such a vaudeville ass drummer name. <laughs> but the but the belief is in one of her sons, uh, Jean Claude Baker. Um, he sort of researched after his mother had passed away um, in the 90s. He came out with a biography about her, and yeah. he believes that her father was a a white man of German descent. Um, that her mother was a a maid for. And, and his mother was also an adopted child. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that as well. All of her children were adopted. Um, and he he looked into it, and the, his reasoning for that is is that when she she was born in a hospital, um, which was not common for African Americans during this time period, right. and she was she was born into a, a white hospital. Um, her birth was registered, which was also uncommon, and her mother was there for like six weeks, like the normal time that a pregnant woman and. Her mother was not wealthy. She was a she was a cleaner, and then after for much of uh, Josephine's childhood, um, she was like very destitute, very poor. Okay. Um, she grew up in a very like poor neighborhood in St. Louis. It was it was a racially mixed neighborhood, um, but that was mostly due to the fact that it was kind of like um, just just sort of a blind spot on the city map over by the train station. Did she grow up in Nellie's neighborhood? <laughs> what was is Nelly from St. Louis? I think yeah, so. Man. That's what he always rapped about was like the St. Lunatics and all that because they were from St. Well, Louis. I, I never, I never listened to Nelly. You never li- What? Ryan just exposing Which, more of his character yet well, again. Just well, she, huge Nelly Stan. Listen, Big I remember Nelly listening had, to Nelly. In, Big Nelly uh, Stan. He walks around was, sometimes in the house with the bandaid on his face. Uh, for all the time, all the time. No, it was eighth grade. Uh, one of his CDs came out in eighth grade, and we used to listen to it in our biology class. And it was just the teacher just let us get away with murder in there. Like she just could not keep us under control. And all you heard was that the uh, God, I can't even think like how it goes. I don't know. You just heard Nelly blasting from like all the corners of the classroom because his CD just uh, dropped, and it was like the biggest. Oh thing. my god! Oh my god! That's crazy. Wait, eighth grade? Yeah. How old are you? Thirty-three. Oh. He's about the same age as me. Oh, okay. Um, How old are you? I'm fucking old. I'm like 38. Oh. (laughs) Grandpa podcast over here. But you think about it, like, you think about it, like, that means, like, when you were in eighth grade, I was graduating high school, so it's like, you know, it was, it's it's a big year difference back then. Now it's like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, totally total, total went off the rails. Good, Steve. But she, she grew up in this, it was called the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood, and it was by the, the main train station in St. Louis, the Union Station. Yep. Um, and uh, most of the neighborhood was uh, rooming houses, brothels, um, and apartments that didn't have modern plumbing. 
um, because it was 1906, you know, that's that's not that uncommon, but it was very much, you know, uh, a, a symbol of being poor. So where do you not shit? having indoor plumbing. A pot's a piss in. Where do yeah, you shit, though? A pot. In the in a pot, in, like, a chamber pot. And then people would just, like, dump them out the windows into, like... I think Ryan thinks I'm lying. No, I'm just... Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I could understand if that was, like, in more rural area, but it's the same right. It's like the middle of a city. When I think of that, I think of like. Uh, well, think about you know, it. It was like, like the Black Plague the... when they were doing it over there. I don't think of that like in current times over in America. I, God, yeah, the, those changes have really only occurred in like the last hundred years. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't yeah, that crazy? A lot of the the South didn't even get um, electricity until the New Deal. Yeah, they uh, love telling me that the house I live in is fifty years old and didn't have air conditioning until like nineteen ninety. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but uh, throughout much of her childhood, she would play in the, the railroad yards. Um, and then um, her hey, mother too. her mother married um, this this guy named Arthur Martin, um, who, who was kind of like a layabout. He was often like unemployed. Um, and, <laughs> uh, I'll start using that term. No, I'm not unemployed. I'm just laying about. I'm a layabout. <laughs> Uh, it says here on your LinkedIn, sir, that you're a layabout. What did you do for the last three years? Oh, I was a layabout. That consists of layabout. Oh my god! With with Arthur Martin, um, her mother had a had a son also named Arthur, and then two daughters named uh, Marguerite and Willie. Um, and her mother sort of became a, a laundress to um, to to make ends meet. That's where she does people's laundry. And, and at the and at the age of eight, um, Josephine began working as a um, as a maid for a white family. Um, a laundress. Yeah, that's a great name. I mean, for a, probably not a great job, but I mean, I, it reminds me of like Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> it's got like laundry everywhere. <laughs> uh, oh my god! But this is this is also during the period too, where like. If you did people's laundry, like you probably didn't have any like fingernails due to all like the caustic and lie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which which one of the things that happened to Josephine was that when she was working for one of the the white families she worked for, um, one one of the women of the house uh, abused her because she felt that Josephine had put too much soap in the laundry, so she burned her hands. How was Jeez. that thing too much soap? Are you, are you worried you're gonna get too fucking clean? Come on. Well, it's probably it's probably it's like, a different kind it's just of like soap. Why? It's like it's like bleach. You know, you put too much in, and like I stand by what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, gonna turn my blues into my reds. <laughs> it's it, they're not turn they're my not reds color, to my pinks. They're not color fast. It's like that episode of The Simpsons. You mean they didn't have? What am I gonna thing? wear on Tuesday, Josephine? Come here, come here. As punishment for fucking up my laundry. Stick your hands in the oven. Why didn't she just use the color safe fucking Tide? Why? <laughs> <laughs> they have it. They still last longer. Well, she would have, but she couldn't reach it if because you can have, listen, if you the chamber pot somebody, man was there look, and have, he was repairing their chamber pot. <laughs> with Cal, a welder. You can, Calgon had not been invented yet. That would come in the following winter, but... If you can afford to have a laundress living with you, you can well, no, afford would, some Tide. 
No, she, she was, was like she wasn't. She was the maid. She wasn't the laundress. She did like everything in the house. If oh, you wow. can she afford was, to she have the these help. people living with you, you can afford some time. Well, think about it though. Think about it though. It's not you know in that in that industry like in an industry that low on the class structure. You know, slavery really never ended. I mean, yeah, these people weren't yeah, working yeah, for yeah. money. This is, you know what I mean? This is also I, like World War One. This is literally like 1914. Oh, I mean, that's that's like some Downton Abbey level shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, she would drop out of school at the age of 12, um, and at the age of 13, um, she worked at a waitress at this club called the Old Chauffeurs Club. That doesn't sound suspect whatsoever. And, and Just, during that time... Um, she lived on the street in, in the slums, um, sleeping in like um, shelters made out of cardboard, and she'd scavenge for food um, in garbage cans, and then also um, make a living, you know, performing on the street dancing. She was a garbage pail kid. Yeah, yeah, she's a garbage yeah. pail kid. <laughs> she was making a living, being living on the street, sleeping in cardboard, making a living dancing at twelve. Dude, yeah, she's like or thirteen, her, and also like, also working as a waitress at this club. That's a good point, Ryan. She is. She's about halfway through her life expectancy. Yeah, for St. So, I mean, Louis. The St. Louis a midlife crisis at twelve. In St. Louis, in the wild, in, uh, <laughs> where they're throwing their in, in the tents. out the windows. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they just recently got the life expectancy in St. Louis up to fifty. So. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking so goddamn dour, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. Like, you know, like, maybe it really is, you know what I mean? I don't fucking know. Um, well, Have well, you seen some of the Rams fans? <laughs> oh my god. I just alienated the entire yeah, Midwest. Say too, too soon, Steve. They're still <laughs> grieving. Oh, man. It, it was at this uh, old chauffeur's club that she met her first husband, um, Willie Wells, um, and she married him that year. Willie um, Wells. That is the most 19 teens name I've ever heard. Charlotte Wells. <laughs> Willie! <laughs> Willie Wells. If I live and breathe. I love this time period so much, so I'm going to have to avoid interrupting you every two seconds. Um, the, the marriage lasted less than a year, um, and she would divorce from Wells. Um, when she found, and after that, she found work with a, a street performance group called the Jones Family Band. Let me ask you a question, though. Divorce, I thought, like, women really couldn't divorce very easily until it, the 70s. It, it depended on the state. It was, it was a state-by-state state thing. It was ah. easier out west than it was okay. on, like, the east coast. Okay. And, and I think also the fact, you know, that, um, that they were poor and black, that they, that, like, the law didn't really care that much. I like how we live in the reflexive of, of those times now. Cause you like just driving down the road and there's just billboards that just say men divorce only. Call this number. <laughs> it's fucking like, ridiculous. Like I don't, just seventeen dollars. Like, like I think one of the reasons why divorce wasn't wasn't as common or uh, during this period and, and as possible was that they didn't really have sort of the idea of like alimony and stuff like that. Yeah, there were no women's like, rights. Like when, like when they divorce, it's probably closer to like an annulment than what we would think of a divorce today. Right. Um, and she would get married again, um, and she married a man named uh, Willie Baker, um, and she married him in 1921 at the age of 15. 
Jeez. And and that's where she gets her um, her surname that she uses for the rest of her life, Baker. Um, her her mother, um, she she sort of became estranged from her mother during this period, um, because Josephine had become like a full time entertainer, and her mother didn't like her um, one like not devoting herself to her husband, and then two, she also objected to Josephine's like main um, performances she would do, because a lot of them were um, blackface comedy routines. Oh, no. Uh, kind of problematic. Um, which was, which was like, very common. I'm about to say, um, for the time period, yeah, but... And, and even for, like, black performers, they, they were expected to, you know, to, to perform in, like, blackface. Um, and, and Josephine would attempt to make amends with her mother um, by bringing her um, gifts, um, and also for her sisters, but this didn't really help that much. Uh, eventually... She would um, she would convince a, a show manager um, in St. Louis to um, let her join um, a vaudeville show called the um, St. Louis Chorus. Um, hmm. and, and, and during that period as well, um, she went to New York City during the Harlem Renaissance, um, and she performed at um, some big clubs like the Plantation Club um, and also in the, the chorus lines of oh, wow. successful Broadway uh, reviews. Um, Shuffle Long, um, Adelaide Hall, and the Chocolate Dandies. <laughs> that is an awesome... That's awesome, the Chocolate Dandies. Uh, Shuffle Long was like a musical comedy about two men vying to become mayor through through crooked means, and, and the Chocolate Dandies was a musical stage show. Vying to become mayor through crooked... Th- I'm sorry, through crooked memes? Memes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, I tell you, Feast, this meme economy is going to get me elected. No time flat. Michael, <laughs> Michael Bloomberg is remembering back to the days of his youth. To win this <laughs> uh, I remember Josephine Baker. Uh, she used to wash my sheets in in the, in the 70s. Oh, the way she could shake those hips. Mm-mm. Even even if I she paid did. her to sh- I paid her to shake them and then I lied about paying her to shake them because I'm Michael Bloomberg and then I'd fire her. <laughs> oh my god, dude! That's exactly what he'd probably do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He said, "Dude, um, dude, I just sent a message. I don't. We should not be getting political, but I, he's such a fucking terrible person. I just sent a message to Steve the other day. I'm he's like, universally hated though. So I literally said, over Michael Luber, he, it's fine. Yeah, I literally said to Steve, I'm like, has this fucking guy ever said anything good? Ever? <laughs> no. He's he's worse than Trump. Like he's if, he's if way, you look way at his worse. stats, if you look at the back of way his worse. like of his like boomer baseball card, his like boomer billionaire baseball. Oh, he card. checks off everything. Racist, yeah, xenophobic. It's like, oh, he checks everything off. It's like the old like Marvel comics like power rating cards where you turn it to the back and they'd have like he has like a oh, five. Oh, those are the best. He I love like those a, cards. He has like a five and like and villainy, and, like dog whistle racism. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, listen, do you play spades? Six you and play outright racism. <laughs> yeah. He, he's got a Boston, okay? He's got everything. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he uh, the fucking table of bullshit. Yo, he's so bad. When they pressed him on his stop and frisk, his response was basically, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, that you don't like that. What? No, they pressed him on it again, and he basically said, the problem is, the reason it's not working is we're not stopping enough black people. Jesus. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's. He, you know, he said his, that was like where that 
quote from him saying that the problem is there's stopping too many white people. That that's what that relates back to. Is he's like, well, that's the problem. They they should just be focusing on the black people. So so ba- uh, Baker her sort of position as a dancer in the chorus line um, was that she was the last dancer and she would perform in sort of a comic manner throughout the show as if she was like unable to remember how she was supposed to dance. And then at the end of the show, um, uh, at the encore, um, she would perform the dance correctly and then also with like some added on bits to make it more complex. Oh, so she would be like, y'all thought I couldn't do this and then she just crush it. Yeah, and yeah, apparently the old okie doke. <laughs> and apparently, this is known as being the the pony in the dance group. I didn't know that. I, I'm, I'm I, assuming, haven't been a, I haven't been a member of dance group in years. I'm I'm assuming it, it <laughs> sort of relates back to you know the phrase the dog and pony show. Huh? Oh, look at you! I'm gonna um, do a search on our old friend Bing. <laughs> um, I, um, I would actually prefer you use Dogpile if you could. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. I'm sorry, Pony. Um, and and during this period, um, Baker was often billed as the the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville. Um, wow. And then, um, and while you know she was sort of doing these these sort of like blackface comedies at, at local clubs she, she was eventually able to go on tour in Paris um, and, and when she moved to Paris that was sort of like where her career really begins here we go um, here comes and, the prostitution and, and what happened Jesus. was and what happened was you're going to feel really bad about that um, <laughs> because she she becomes like a civil rights icon that's the shit. She's all, listen. I'm not shaming sex workers in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm just saying she became a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. <laughs> she she had a lot of sex, but I don't think anybody paid for it. Huh. Both men and women. Oh, nice. Um, right. Yeah. Um. So she leaves her husband, uh, Willie, um, when they went to New York um, for that, like um, when she went on Broadway. And then she finally divorced him in 1925. Um, hmm. Did they have any children? Uh, they did not. She she doesn't have any children. I say, hope not. She was like fucking 15, bro. Oh, oh shit, that's right. That's she terrible. was she was 19 when they divorced. Oh, um, thank God. But this, <laughs> but this th- this doesn't happen until she gets back from Paris, and we'll get to that. Okay. Um. So in, in 1925, um, she opened. Um, at the the theater de Champs Elysees, um, performing this um, show called the Le, the Le Review uh, Negre. What? Um, which, Are you having which, a stroke? The Black Review. <laughs> the Black Review. Um, and and in this show, she was actually like the star. She wasn't just a chorus girl. Um, and then because she was actually able to be a star in these shows, she decided to permanently like relocate to Paris, and she was one of the first black performers um, to move from the United States to Paris. Mm. Nice. Um, and there was another performer who had moved there before her, who's Ada Bricktop Smith. Um, she had come in 1924, and she had opened a club called um, Shea Bricktop, um, which she owned from 1924 to 1961. Okay, um, so, serious question, because like, I know she's not like actually a prostitute, but 
the the clubs that you that you're referring to the um, you know these people opening are these like the clubs that I'm thinking of like the Moulin Rouge clubs and things like that nature. Yeah, they're like night they're like like nightclubs like like in Boardwalk Empire like Nookie's Club where everybody dresses really nice going in there though and it's like yeah, taste it was and taste, tasteful and classy dancing but like with just enough edge like showing just enough ankles to get all the guys like get yeah, it going Yeah, or know? or in this case in Paris like outright like just the act nudity, of dancing would cause the homage to have strokes. Oh yeah, I mean they're from in Paris. The She's up. just probably just straight throwing titties everywhere, but you know you know what I'm saying, though. Like, that kind of club. Yeah, it, it's sort of like the fancy, like, club, like, where they have, like, a full band, and, like, they have, they have like, a stage show, and, like, people sit at, sit at tables. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, Bricktop, she would close her, t- uh, her club during World War II. Um, she would reclo- uh, relocate to Mexico City, where she opened a club there, and she would return to Europe in 1949. Um, Bricktop eventually retired in 1961 at the age of 67, um, poorly saying, I'm tired, honey, tired of staying up all night. Mm. That's, uh, I'm tired, honey. <laughs> it just sounds like some shit. <laughs> it really does. And she it. was sort of, um, she was sort of the connection for Josephine Baker to sort of meet with, like, the, I, I guess, uh, the upper echelon, like the, the celebrity circuit in Paris because Bricktop had already been sort of established and people would come to her club and to see her because she had been a um, she had been a jazz singer right um, so she she like she connected her to those people and her her star sort of rose further because of that um, so like then, what kind of what kind of people are we talking about well like um, she would she would sort of hang out with like Ernest Hemingway and Picasso Whoa. Um, Jean, so she was probably doing massive amounts of drugs then too. Jean Cocteau was like he made he like helped make her into an international star, the, the French author. Um, yeah. So she she tours Europe, um, and and after touring Europe, she sort of like breaks her contract and goes back to Paris, and she stars in the show uh, the show at, at the Folies uh, Bergeret, which was one of the premier cabaret halls of um, Paris. Um, from the 1890s and, uh, until the end of the 1920s. Um, and this is where she became famous for her her like signature dance during this period, which was called the uh, the dance uh, sauvage or the banana dance. Hmm. And when she like, did the <laughs> when she did this dance, um, she was sort of topless. Um, and she would wear this skirt that was made out of like fake bananas, and it almost looked like she almost looked like a hula girl, but with without like a, you know, without the the top. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I see it. her Wikipedia picture. She's actually wearing the outfit. Yeah, um, and and this is during like in the twenties. There's sort of this interest um, in sort of non-Western forms of art and fashion, so people sort of become obsessed with like the exotic. And she sort of uses this sort of obsession with the exotic to sort of portray um, people of African descent as sort of like sensual beings. Because a, a lot of times before this, you know, you don't really see like black people in that role, like yeah. people of color. It's almost always like like white people or either what they what they would commonly refer to as Oriental, uh, meaning anybody from like outside of Europe and like central asia or or asia or the middle east like mm-hmm. like those types of people 
Um, and even then, like in the United States, um, she like she couldn't be a leading lady in a film because you couldn't have people of color as as leading figures in films for uh, by law. That was law. Yeah, they had what was called the Hayes Code, and the Hayes Code said it, it like banned certain behavior in films, and one of them was was interracial romance. Like you couldn't have. So you couldn't have like a white person kissing like even like an Asian person. It wasn't even just black and white. It was like it was like all ethnicities. Like when what? when I like when yeah, I Love Lucy yeah, premiered on TV, like that was considered an interracial relationship. Desi Arnaz and and Lucille Wait. Ball. That was that yeah. was considered interracial, even though Desi Arnaz was like the we, whitest we, fucking Hispanic yeah. I've ever seen. My God, you know how long it was before I realized he wasn't even fucking white. <laughs> like he looks like Joey Diaz if he suffered from um, Sammy Sosa's treatment. I know, let me tell you something, Steve. Yeah. I'm really disappointed in how you how you portray me right now. <laughs> I don't look anything like Desi on this. <laughs> no, that's the whitest. Jeez, dude. When people say that this country used to be racist, still is. It used to be racist. It was fucking racist. Oh yeah, holy no. I mean, like, fucking look, shit! Was it bigoted? I mean, when really people say yeah. other people were a product of their time, they were a product of their fucking time. Like, because really bad. Because when, uh, for instance, um, like the when they made the movie version of the Good Earth, you know, the the Chinese, like the novel that takes place in China, where all the characters are Chinese, like most of the Chinese characters are played by white people because um all the leading people and it had to be that because of one there weren't any like well-known asian actors and there weren't any uh, well-known asian actors because they couldn't you know um they couldn't kiss so they couldn't be in a romantic role they couldn't do these things so that's why you have people in like yellow face in these in these movies like that i honestly feel bad that i'm so blown away that that was like institutionalized but i, I just figured it was like unspoken like i, fi- I think that's what well, ryan's getting at too well, yeah, yeah like, like i thought you have like, like cecil okay, b like, DeBille, like who, I who wrote like a love like letter like a... to the ku klux klan and that was like the greatest movie in america like when josephine baker was like eight i mean like i get it that they've been whitewashing like american movies forever um but i didn't realize that it was actually yeah but like, you but this isn't put these these people who aren't the same color together in the but same this, movie like this but this is. isn't dragon ball z <laughs> this isn't avatar that's <laughs> just fucking inc- it blows my mind absolutely blows crazy my mind. anyway um during during this period um she she also had a a pet cheetah which she named um chiquita and and this <laughs> this this I thought you cheetah. were gonna find. It's, it almost sounds like you're starting a joke. Yeah, and this really cheetah dark. would wear would wear like a diamond collar, you know, like a, like a fancy. Keep like, the joke going, Steve. Like a fancy like lap cat, and she would keep it on stage. And sometimes during the show, it would was escape. It, on a leash? And it would. Well, I guess it was on a really long leash because it sometimes it would escape and go into the orchestra pit, where it would like attack the musicians. <gasps> Shut the fuck up! <laughs> and, it, and like, and like, people, people came for that. It was like, it was Hell like when yeah. people go to like NASCAR to like watch the cars crash. It's like they want to see the cheetah like fuck maul yeah. like a cello player. <laughs> yeah, I can see people like like taunting the band too. Like, hey, if you fuck up, if you fuck up, <laughs> the cheetah's coming for you. Ah, uh, Josephine, you want to put your cat away? Huh. <laughs> 
and, and like I said, she during this period as well, you know, she becomes a fixture of Paris. She's she's considered to be the most successful American entertainer in France at that time. Um, and, and she runs in these circles of like all these like sort of big names and sort of literature and, and sort of culture at that time. She's rolling with a cheetah with a diamond necklace. I really feel like she's the most popular entertainer in the world. And it was it was the 1920s, so you get in away with world. a lot there, especially in France. But during like early on when she gets to France, um, she meets this guy named uh, Giuseppe uh, Pepito Abitino, um, who becomes her her manager and and her lover. Um, and Abitino was a, a former stonemason from Sicily, um, who was sort of like a con man who claimed he was a count. Um, sort sort of in the same way, like I, I, I kind of imagine that it's like the European version of like your your manager if you're a music performer because he was he said he was a count. You know, it's like the colonel. Yeah. So he's like a wrestling manager, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like brother love. Yeah. <laughs> or slick. Or slick. He he holds the he holds the leash of the cheetah while she performs. Like he's he's like on the side of the stage, you know, cheering her on, occasionally oh giving her a chair, you know. Oh my god. Um, but but during this period in in nineteen twenty five, um, Abitino and Baker are unable to marry because Baker was still married to her second husband at the time. Um uh, uh, Willie, Willie Baker. Baker. And Uh-oh. and because of that uh, because she had never divorced, um, she was often threatened with um, legal action. Like people who didn't like her would would threaten to to sort of um, prosecute her for adultery. Mm-hmm. Prosecute her for adultery. So she would eventually go back to the U.S. and she would get divorced. Um, but um, during that time, because um, she she claimed that she was actually like divorced when she really wasn't. Um, so she couldn't marry Abitino, um, so they never they never really formalized a relationship outside of being romantic partners and um, sort of having the management relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in December 14th, 1926, um, Baker would open a club with Abitino called um, Shay uh, Josephine uh, while she was performing in the uh, Follies uh, Bergeret. Um, she would also be in movies. Um, she would be in um, a silent movie. Um, the most notable one of them is The Siren of the Tropics. And she would also be in a number of, of talkies. Um, some of them pretty bad, but some of them, you know, generally considered like good and popular. What the um, hell is so a talkie? A, a movie <laughs> with sound. <laughs> See, I feel like that's what podcast should have been called, but it was already taken. Yeah, talkies. Talkies, talkies yeah. <laughs> Yo, y'all hear about this new talkie? But she <laughs> Fantastic. Was, she was in the movie uh, Zozo, um, Princess Tam Tam, and uh, Falsy Alert. I'm really waiting for you to bust out with some with the. Uh, oh my God! How do you say it? Like Oule Voule Che Ave Soi? Like what the fuck? Voule Voule Che Avec Moi. I think something like that. I'm waiting for him to bust out with it any second now. In, in 1934, um, Baker um, would sort of, like, remake her, her public persona um, due to, like, Abitino telling her that she could be doing better. And she took extensive singing lessons and made the move into opera. Mm-hmm. Um, she took the revival of um, 
Jacques Offenbach's uh, opera called uh, Le Creole, which premiered in December of that year. Um, and it did a six-month run at the, the Théâtre uh, Marangi on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. Um, Champs-Élysées. And, and, and La Creole was a comedic opera about a musketeer named uh, René, and, and sort of like that he was in love and wanted to marry this Creole girl named Nora. Huh. Um, and then sort of this would sort of lead Baker to sort of make moves into a higher brow of entertainment. She wasn't just sort of like a nightclub dancer and singer. She she became like a more legitimate performer. Um, she would return to the U.S. during this period and attempt to build a career there, um, but she was largely unsuccessful. Um, in, 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 in the 19- late in the late twenties in the U.S. Late, well, this is nineteen nineteen like thirty four thirty five right. right. So in, in thirty five. So America's racist. It hasn't hit its peak stride yet. It hasn't really, you know, hit its peak racism yet. But we're we're slowly on the uptick of super racism. But she she performs on Broadway and um, in a revival of uh, Ziegfeld Follies. Um, But the critics mostly pan her. And after low uh, ticket sales, um, they replace her with Gypsy Rose Lee. Um, Oh oh my God! That's the same name as that girl in that um, the Hulu special. About the the girl who handicapped, but she's not really handicapped. Uh, Gypsy Rose. Fuck, I can't think what the name of that thing is. It's a Hulu the special. It's, it's a really yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. You I think I think we I think we watched it. Yeah. Damn. Wasn't was Gypsy Rose Lee white though? I believe she was. I believe yeah, she, she was African American. Now Gypsy Rose Lee was white. Yeah, she was because white. in because in that in that that damn show yeah. in that damn show yeah, she was white. She was named the mom called her Gypsy Rose because of the singer. That's exactly what it was. So basically, they replaced her with a white white woman. Essentially. Yeah, okay. and there's some there's some like bad reviews. Like Time Magazine, their their critic was very mean and also racist about it. He refers to her as the um, they. They they essentially say that um, she might be the best singer in Paris, but she's not outside of there. Wow! Wow! That's a that's a stab. That's a Don't we? Say. We should and, throw something to General Lafayette. And sort of after her um, her, her sort of poor treatment and reception, um, she returned to France, and then she became a legal citizen of France and denounced her American citizenship. The Damn. Act. That show was called The Act. <laughs> Say isn't that that one about the the girl and her mom and it's like Munchausen by proxy? Yeah, that's the show. Yes, about, the act. And yeah. in that show, the mom calls spoilers. her Gypsy Rose. Yeah, I mean um, it's not even spoilers. She's about to actually actually she's coming up on on her release date from prison too. In in 1937, um, Baker marries her third husband, who's a um, a Frenchman named uh, Jean Leon. Um, but after um, so and and this was done after, of course, she divorced her second husband um, when she was in the U.S. So she so she divorced uh, Giuseppe Pepito when no she was they in never the she never married Abitino because um, because largely when she was like okay because she was still married to Willie yeah she couldn't marry him and then by the time she actually divorced her second husband like formally she I, I guess their relationship wasn't to a point where they wanted to get married. Um, so Baker marries her, her third husband. Um, and, and even though while she does this, um, she, 
she's had been seeing like many men and women during this period um and even though like i said too um so she was constantly breaking the law by by having all these partners and she continued to do such even after she was married um the the two would divorce though in 1940 um after um just just three years of marriage oh she doesn't um, seem like somebody that's gonna like the settling down type. I'm just gonna go she, out on a, on, a, on a limb and say that. She, I, I think the thing with her, which we'll get to when we talk about her, like with her and her children, is that she was a a working woman during a period where, like, if you settled down even for a moment, your career was over. Like, if you had children, it, it's sort of like what happens still in Asian countries. Um, which used to happen in the United States was that a woman would have a career until she had children. And then when she had children, like her career was done. Okay. So you, it, it's sort of that mentality that you have to keep moving in order to stay relevant and to keep working so that your career is not dead, especially as a woman. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and so in 1939, um, France declares war on Germany after Germany invades Poland. Um, the French uh, military intelligence um, they recruit Baker to be a spy for them, what they call an honorable correspondent, which meant that she was like somebody they could trust who wasn't actually like a, a military officer, but she was somebody, a, a civilian who had been recruited by them that they could trust for information. My girl was a resistance fighter. So she was like an associate of the mob, but not a made guy. Well, well, she she actually was at the end of the war. She she is considered like a full member of like, oh, okay. the intelligence bureau. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> spoiler alert: wasn't she buried with military honors? I know. Yes, that was she like was. That. Yeah. She was buried with full military honors. Like she got She's, buried. Like yeah, like this was a hundred percent that bitch when she got she, buried. She is the only civilian, I think, in in French history to be married uh, be buried with um, military honors. Wow. Um, yeah. and, and this is for the the French military intelligence, which is like at that time is like their equivalent of like the OSS or MI5, um, the Duzimay, uh Bureau, the the second bureau of the general staff. Um, and then so when the Germans invade France um, later on, um, after sort of the lull of the phony war, um, she moves to the Chateau uh, de Melans, and sort of like southwestern France and the department of uh, Dordogne. Um, that's that's sort of like um, sort of on that, that sort of flat stretch, like that straight line of coast that's between like uh, France and and Spain. Okay. Um, sort of in the interior there in the south. Don't say anything to me. I thought France was connected to Korea. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is a proper castle um, it had uh, 30 rooms, and it was on about 400 um, hectares or a thousand acres of land. Um, what? And she would she would rent this castle until 1947 when she bought it outright. She literally lived in a fucking castle. This chick gets cooler by the minute. I want you to know that. She would, um, and, and during this like the early period of sort of when the resistance is starting up, um, she would help resistance members get visas so that they could go abroad to join the Free French Movement being led by de gaulle um and she would also be invited to sort of like fancy parties with access officials from germany italy and japan and she would just essentially like get any information she could out of them and then because they didn't really consider her a threat because she was an entertainer and a woman so they didn't really think anything of her 
Um, and she was also like a very well-known like celebrity at this point, so everybody knew who she was. Um, and then she would take this information and she would send it along to the allies. Well, that's a perfect cover, right there, right in people's face. They never suspect you. And in 1941, um, she and her entourage would go to North Africa. And the reason why that they would do this is actually somewhat based in truth was that she was suffering from pneumonia and that... Um, uh, she wanted to go where it's real dry. Yeah, go where it's dry to sort of dry out. Um, and then so um, they would, she went to Morocco and from there she would make tours of Spain. And during this period as well, she would, she would gather information and she would send it along and she would usually hide it in her underwear um, because she said that you know no one was ever going to like strip search her. And no one ever did. Usually when she got to, like, checkpoints or, like, border crossings, like, they were just so enamored with her, they would just ask for, like, her autograph. Just a bunch of, like, hooting and hollering construction yeah. soldiers. Sort of Looney Tunes style, yeah. like... Ooh, aruga. <laughs> aruga. German, aruga. German, German officers, like, twisting their hats in their hands as they... See, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but listen, but, but take a step back here now. Can you imagine if she fuck around and they did say, hey, we're going to search you now? Like, that's it. That's that's all she wrote. She gets caught with, with like, information going to, like, allied troops. They're going to they're gonna kill this woman. Like, straight up, there's not even going to... Yeah, she's done. That takes some serious balls, dude. Oh, yeah. It, like, later on, yep. like, she gets threatened by, like, the Ku Klux Klan. And, like, she... Like, when she was I'm, asked... Okay, to- like, time out, time out, time out. I'm sorry. If I'm Josephine Baker and I've been running shit past Nazis, I'm gonna look at the Ku Klux Klan like, gentlemen, gentlemen, I'll run, <laughs> I'll run circles around you, dickheads. I but did this she, with the Nazis. But she essentially says like she wasn't afraid of them. Yeah, of course not. A bunch of fucking idiots running around the bed sheets. Why would you be? <laughs> it was. It was during. It was during this period um, that Baker would have a. Um, she would have a miscarriage. Mm. Um, and the the Pasha of, of Marrakesh, who was like um, like sort of the monarch of Morocco at this time, um, he helped her like through this period. Um, they had they had become friends. Uh, this was she had had many different miscarriages over time, but this was like her last one because this one was so severe that it it required her to have a hysterectomy. Oof. Um. No. Um. Because and then um, because the infection had spread and she had developed. Um, peritonitis and sepsis. Um, Good thing she didn't die too, because shit, sepsis kills people now. I can't yeah. even imagine back then how many people it was killing. Yeah, it's like a, it's a percentage chance. I mean, it basically depends on how sick you are. But after after she recovered, um, and then she would shoot at different periods of, of good and bad health. After this, um, she would start touring to help the Allied war effort in um, North Africa. She would entertain uh, British, French, and American soldiers um, because the Free French had no like organized entertainment network. Um, that they didn't she, have a USO show. Yeah, <laughs> that she essentially created the French USO. Oh, That's she like awesome. spearheaded it. That's amazing. Yeah, that she that she created an entertainment network for the troops, and um, she managed most of it on her own. And she would she would not charge the soldiers, but she would not allow any civilians to come in. It was only for the soldiers. As it should be, hell yeah. Um, and and at the end of the war, she would re- she would receive the the Croix de Guerre, which oh, is wow. like the highest like military honor you can receive in France. And she also received uh, 
the Rosé de la Resistance, which is like a medal for like major members of the Resistance. Um, and then she—it's yeah, like later- a, it's like the Medal of Honor for France, right? Quite yeah. And then she would also be made a, a chevalier of the Legion d'Honor by right, so she, um, by Charles de Gaulle, which essentially makes her a knight. It, essentially, like the again, the French I, I, the French again, Republican equivalent of it. She was a hundred percent that bitch before Lizzo was even thought of. <laughs> but yeah, she she had like she's like the original like diva, like For she real? had. She also had. Um, she also had like a full uniform, which she wears later on, um, but that's just a little bit of a, a spoiler. Um, but she had like a full military uniform and all that. She was like, she was like a big deal. Um, and in um, 1949, um, she would sort of re- reinvent herself in, in sort of like the post-war period in France um, due to her um, past performances and sort of her heroic reputation. Um, and then she would also travel again abroad to America to perform. Um, because she was very much in demand during this period, and um, and even though there was segregation um, by law in a lot of the venues and states she would perform in, um, she would require that they um, that the venues not be segregated. Um, and she would also do a thing too, where she, if she went to a new city, she would go to the fanciest hotel in the town, and she would just walk in and order a cup of coffee, and, and sort of to force them to serve black people. Um, because even though if they didn't have like um, de jour segregation, like they would still have de facto segregation. Gotcha. Um, and in and in 1951, she was invited to perform at a nightclub in Miami, um, but she refused to play until it was desegregated. Like she, the the show had to be um, desegregated in order for her to perform, and she, oh, she had would, to have DJ Khaled as backup. And she would. Um, <laughs> She would DJ Khaled. Another one. <laughs> they uh, the just coward, so just DJ Khaled. Just to go over real quick, just so everybody knows, because I didn't know what it meant for a long time. But you said du jour, which you meant D J D E J U R E, right? Like which where means it's by, by law, law, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I for a second there, I thought it was like you know du jour, like segregation of the of the day, like it was on a menu, <laughs> like no Moroccans today or something. Just like yeah. <laughs> It's like, the, it's like the it's like the it's like the drinks it's like the drink special menu for like an yeah. establishment that yeah. like happened the uh, uh, this, the 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 soup du jour today is racism. <laughs> oh my All right, God. so today we're accepting dogs and Irishmen, but not- <laughs> <laughs> he said they're accepting you. Oh, finally, um, somebody. But she would. She I'll would take a take- potato. <laughs> Hey, you son of a bitch. <laughs> she, would, she would go to court over this, um, sort of against the state, and it would be found in her favor. And um, this is also during that period where she would be targeted by the Ku Klux Klan, where they would send her like threatening phone calls against really the state that she was going to, or which state? Against Florida, essentially. Oh, Florida, saying, Florida. Saying that the venue had to be desegregated, and the club. Um, which wanted to pay her a lot to, I, I believe it was $10,000 for the show. Um, they they wanted the show to happen and they were trying to get it to happen, but the only way she would do it was if they desegregated, which was something they couldn't do by law because it was Florida in 1951. Um, right, which still had like sundown laws. Yeah. yeah. I can um, only hope that the phone call she was getting, she would just laugh at these idiots and be like, get the fuck out of here and just hang up on them. And, and during this period in, in New York City, 
um, sort of sort of at the end of her tour, um, she would be honored by a parade of a hundred thousand people in Harlem, and she would be declared the NAACP's Woman of the Year. Um, and the day that the parade was held people? was was called the the like was given was like her day. Like they they officially declared it was her day. A hundred thousand Jesus. Um, and, and eventually, what happens is in October nineteenth of nineteen fifty one. Um, Baker had gone to this club called the Stork Club, which was like a very like fancy club in in New York. Like a lot of like big name people went there. Um, and what had happened was that Baker had felt that the club had an unwritten policy of discouraging black patrons, which um, wouldn't surprise you. At and all. she she had ordered a steak and it had not come after an hour. Um, and then so she went to go. Um, to go like sort of complain about it and call and then she she ran into a columnist uh, walter winchell who's like a big name like colonist uh columnist and an old ally and, and he would not like come to her defense um but at that time um grace kelly the actress was there um and and at that time she had married the prince uh, prince rainier of monaco so she was she was sort of the princess of monaco at that time as well being like the famous actress come on um, with this life she right? she rushed she rushed over to baker and took her by the arm and stormed out of the club with her entire party um she she vowed never to return um Grace kelly she, yeah but she did return in 1956 with her husband um but uh, Baker and um, Grace Kelly became really close friends after that incident. Um, and then the NAACP and NYPD investigated but found no evidence of, of discrimination against um, Baker. They didn't find anything conclusive. Um, Walter Winchell, he later said that um, the Stork Club d- discriminates against everybody, white, black, and pink. The stork bars all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons, but if your skin is green and you're rich and famous or you're syndicated, you'll you'll be welcome at the club. And and sort of like they go back and forth between her and Winchell, but um, and she she also attempts to sue Winchell at one point, but the the case is thrown out of court, and this doesn't work well for Baker because Winchell's like close friend is um, J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sort of results in Baker's work visa being um, terminated, and it forced her to return to France. Aww. Um, and so it wouldn't be she wouldn't be allowed back into the United States for another decade. Damn. In 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 1952, um, sort of this is before she's she's sort of forced out. Um, she was the queen of the cavalcade of jazz um, for the or she she hired uh, she was there to crown the queen of the cavalcade of jazz um, for the eighth cavalcade of jazz concert held at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after returning to France um, in 1954, um, she adopted her first child. It's this, it was a Japanese boy named Akio. Um, and the reason why she adopted a Japanese boy was that she, she had this belief that she could show the world that coexistence was possible by raising a multi-ethnic family. So she's uh, Angelina mm. Jolie way before Angelina Jolie. Yes. A- Angelina <laughs> Jolie and Mia Farrow are actually like inspired by her. 
it's so the reason, yeah so the reason why angelina jolie like decided to adopt like the dozen or so children i don't even know what she's up to now she's up to like 36 um, like uh, she's past the point of like tax she's, breaks. Like, she's she's cut off do you think yeah, that's why brad pitt left Probably you got tired of that shit. Every just, time she goes no, to Brad, no. What I mean is, do you think there just wasn't any room left, like in the house, for Brad yes, to stand yeah. there? <laughs> you know, he was like, he was bunking up with the kids. It was like, you know, when you're when you're in a smaller house, it's like, yeah, we got to put, you got to move in with your your brother. Every time she goes to film a new movie, she comes home with a new kid, like it's a puppy. Like, would you stop bringing home kids? She, and then she also got tired of of her teasing him. You know, calling him a pretty boy. Which oh apparently, like, Brad Pitt, like, that's, like, the absolute thing he hates is being called a pretty boy. Oh, my God. Um, so, Baker would adopt, uh, by, by the end, she would adopt 12 children in total. Oof, good for And they her. all came from different national, ethnic, and religious backgrounds. Um, good for her. Out of the, she had 10 sons, uh, she had, um, she would have 10 sons and then one daughter. Um... So she had, um, she had a, a French. Oh, she had two daughters and ten sons. She had a, she had a girl, a French-born girl named Marianne. Holy a shit! A Moroccan-born daughter named uh, Stalina. Um, ten sons uh, were a Korean-born uh, Jeanot, a Japanese-born Akio, Colombian-born Luis, uh, Finnish-born Jari, French-born Jean Claude. And, Holy shit! And, Jean-Claude and another French boy named Noel. What was that estate like? An Israeli-born Moise, an Algerian-born Brahim, an Ivorian-born... Yeah, this is is definitely why... This is definitely why Brad Pitt left. Exactly. He probably he probably didn't even know who the fuck was in the room at any given moment. Fucking pretty boy. Hey, probably didn't know who who the, who the fuck is this? Mom? Joe, Jack, and Jill, and uh, this like, is Mara, Akio, and, uh, and Stalina. That's why talk a lot. That's why George Foreman named all his children George Foreman. So he just had numbers. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's the best. This is George one. And like you remember being a kid and your parents like get really frustrated and they yell at you, but they can't get your name, so they call you every other name before they get to yours. Can you imagine being <laughs> at that fucking house? Phineas, Earl, Luke, hey, Dennis, David, Bobby. Stephen, <laughs> Moisey, Brave, Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. It's you, Jeremiah. You're fucking grounded. It's just that bit from The Simpsons with Cletus's family where he's yeah. just naming off. Charlene, darling, darling. Yeah. Jenon, Akio, Luis, Jerry, Jean Claude, Noel, Coffee, Mara. Jerry is now known as Jerry. Some of. Some of the children like were orphans, but some like like um, like Jari were were actually from like destitute families and were bought from their families. Yo, listen, this woman gets better by the minute because I used to. Um, uh, side note, I'll make this quick. I used to date a girl who was an adoption case manager, and the stories that I would hear about people that would come in and expecting to like get these little blonde hair, blue eyed, white babies. And she was like, it's really gross because a lot of these people wouldn't even take two seconds to look at any of the children who would be considered a minority. So to see somebody go and be like, yo, I want the minority kids. Like, you know, yeah, I'll take a white kid if he's there, but I want the well, minority kids. You know, well, I want the ones that it, nobody wants. It, it is to a degree, but but we'll, we'll sort of get to, to why this is like 
even more problematic than having a household with like 12, 12 children in it. Um, she had a castle. Who cares? Yeah, but she was she would like buy these children from their families, which is very similar to what like Georgia Tan did. Like, like the reason why adoptions work the way they do in the United States work the way they do now is because they used to have like homes for like wayward children or whatever that were run by people who were essentially like stealing children from poor families. And like, this is, this is kind of like what she did with like Jari and she kept all the information about their origins from the children and she wouldn't like she wouldn't allow them to find out anything or tell them anything. Oh, mm. That's kind of um, her. Why is going fuck it up, dude? I was her, on a roll. Her her fourth husband, uh, Joe uh, Boylan, um, he would manage most of the affairs at the manor at, at the at the castle, and he would raise the children while Josephine was touring, which was constantly. His name is Joe Bouillon, like the cube. Don't try to jerk that shit up. Yeah. He would, he would leave her after Bouillon. the 11th. His name is Joe Bouillon. <laughs> he would leave her after the 11th adoption, um, which was done in 1961. He would divorce from her in 1963. All right, that's enough. I've had it. He pulled the Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, and, and during that period where, where he was gone... Um, the, the sort of the, the affairs of the manor would fall into disrepair um, because, you know, it had a staff of about 100 people. Um, she had all these, like, exotic animals. It was like the full, like, Michael Jackson thing where she would have, like, you know, like, monkeys and, and all sorts of other, like, exotic animals that had to be, like, specially taken care of. She had private tutors and other costs. You could um, tell me with 100 people and 12 kids, especially the 12 kids, that the place fell in disrepair? Yeah, like sort of like it fell into debt. She wasn't really oh, like okay. able to manage yeah, it. Okay. Um, I thought you meant like overgrown, needed like no, like mode. just like, like the cost, the cost of keeping it up became became too okay. too great. Okay. Um, so it, it, when she would return home from when she was traveling, she would always demand affection from the children, even if she arrived like late in the evening, even if she got in at like three a.m. She would like make them wake up the children to like. So I guess like hug her or whatever, um, and and the children said that she would always give them like lavish gifts on Christmas, um, but they, a lot of them say that like there was like sort of like an expectation, you know, that she would that she would like take care of them materially, but they would be expected to sort of um, perform. What um, do you mean? That she would she would sort of like treat them like they were her subjects, um, like she, oh. she was very strict. They couldn't really like talk back to her. And she had these sort of like expectations for uh, for them. Uh, could you she... talk back to your mom? Like, old well, it was a little different though. Back. My mom wasn't buying me a Studebaker. Jimmy, what I got you this year was a Studebaker. Mom, I'm six. But this is <laughs> this is also the thing too, where it was that her expectations were that they had to fulfill like certain goals. So. Again, her I don't I, see the problem of being like, hey, idea, I'm going to buy you a Studebaker. Just just make sure you, you don't fuck off with your tutor. No, no, no. Her expectations were like, you're going to you're gonna go into this career. You're going to become really good at it. And then you're going to go back to your home country. And you're going to sort of like represent my beliefs in your home country in your chosen field. Oh, uh, that's kind of So she's up. setting up like philosophical franchises. Yeah, and... None of the none of the children ended up following these these plans she had for them. Like they they all sort of rebelled against that. Surprise, um, surprise. 
mo- most of them when they became teenagers because they were boys um they became very rebellious and rowdy because they weren't really being supervised so they were just like like running around the countryside like getting drunk and doing drugs and like getting into all kinds of trouble hell yeah um, jari surprisingly was was actually disowned by baker when she discovered he was gay she had she had come in on him in the bathtub with uh, another boy at the age of 15 and she she had sort of disowned him because of why that. she's fucking gay herself sometimes because she was because and that's what people say that like it's very odd that she would do that because one she's bisexual and two she was like very openly she was friends with people who were like well known as being like homosexual like a lot of her like her, her sort of like entourage were were gay and and i think it goes into that whole thing of like her plan that she had for them that like jari had to represent like she called it her rainbow tribe like he had to represent the tribe he couldn't be gay because that was like too much for people to accept like he had to be like a paragon right i'm not agreeing with it i'm saying like yeah yeah the you, you logic kinda, is yeah, there really yeah fucked up. it's fucked up but the logic is there like if you're if you're already in that time period if you're already like a member of some kind of strange collective of interracial ideals and then all of a sudden you're also homosexual it's like tells us anything else about this woman that sucks because she's well no 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 i think it's very important that you know you get all the dimensions of her because she she wasn't a saint right all the well all the children even say like they all pretty much agree that you know like that she loved them and they loved her and that you know she was a mother but mothers are like flawed and this is also like one of those things too like this this type of thing is not that uncommon especially among celebrities i'm also thinking that because she had a hysterectomy that that kind of fucked her up well so that and i'm willing to bet that she adopted these kids and kind of went zero to a hundred with the she, mother thing she also well, had she a shitty a mom yeah she had a shitty mom who well, kicked yeah, her out and made her too. adult so she doesn't have a lot of history she doesn't like she kind of she's almost a single mother yeah like she's she's like Michael Jackson, like the female version of Michael Jackson, like no childhood, a lot of shit going on. Like yeah, I, I can see a except with without the diddling. Yeah, with no a, diddling. I mean, fuck, she was diddling. She was fifteen. Oh well, no, somebody was diddling her. Damn it. Yeah, she never she never abused any of the children. Good. Um, they that like I said, they all said that you know that like they were that she was flawed, but like they said whose like whose mother wasn't flawed, and they said that she she wanted to give them the best life, and she did, um, and and like all of them except for one of them, um, Akio went to her funeral, um, which we'll we'll talk about, um, but that was that was mostly due to something that had like recently happened as opposed to like him like wanting nothing to do with her. Um, in in nineteen sixty three. Um, Baker would um, would go to the march on Washington with uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, um, and she would she would be the only female speaker at the march on Washington. And while wearing her her Free French uniform, which which had all of her medals on it, um, she introduced the the quote unquote Negro women for civil rights. And she introduced uh, Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates, as well as others, on stage while she gave a, a brief speech. So, real, real quick, I got a question for you because you've said this. This is the second time you've talked about it. What is the the Free France that you were talking about? Well, in in World War Two, um, the government, the Vichy government of France, which is called uh, France, the the Vichy French, 
they were the legitimate government of France. Like Charles de Gaulle and the French Resistance and the Free French, they were not the legitimate government of France during that period. They were they were sort of a, an insurgent like terrorist movement to play devil's advocate. Okay. That when that when France surrendered to Nazi Germany, uh, the Pétain government was the legal government of France, uh-huh. and then Charles Charles de Gaulle just sort of like ran off and said that he was the president now. Now, did he have any kind of power, or did he just have power just because he had people behind him? Well, he was he was probably the most. I, I believe he was the highest ranking general in the Free French, and it was just sort of like the French people who wanted to continue fighting the fascists, sort of like flocked to him. Uh, abroad, a number of the colonies would would sort of like be taken over by the Free French, especially mm-hmm. in North Africa and like Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those those people would join him, but a number like a number of French people didn't. Like the idea that the like all of France was in the resistance is is like erroneous. That yeah. the the legal government of France, like like France, is 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 France just straight com- up surrendered. They were just well, like, yeah, no, and and, we, we and France this. was also complicit in like the Holocaust. Like <gasps> they were they were they were probably more complicit they than even, like Italy. What? Yeah, they were they were worse than like Italy in terms of like and how how closely they followed to the Holocaust. Shut the. F- uh, can we have an episode about this in the future? The French complicity. Let's. We should just do all complicity. The croissant eating complicity. Yep. But the so she was, and generally, that the free the France complicity is the of the croissant of the of the croissant. The complicity of the. God damn! I can't even say this. The complacency of the croissant. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking it up. Uh, um. It, because she was French in 1966, um, Fidel Castro invited her to perform um, at, the, at the the Teatro uh, Teatro Musical de la Habana in, in Havana, Cuba, at the seventh anniversary of the revolution. Um, and she would later do a show in April that broke uh, attendance records worldwide. When was this? In 1966. Wow. In, in 1968, she would perform in, in Yugoslavia, um, in, in Belgrade, and, and Skopje. Um, and then in, in 19, in that later that year, um, after the assassination of um, Martin Luther King, uh, Coretta Scott King approached Baker um, to lead the civil rights movement, but Baker refused um, because she didn't want to orphan her children. Um, she was also not an American citizen at that time as well, um, so that probably also played a part in it. Why did they want her to get out of it? What? You said that she propositioned her to leave the civil rights movement. No, to Why? lead. Oh, lead. I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Leave. No, to uh, lead. They wanted, they we wanted need you to, to get the fuck out. See, we can't have anyone with titties out in the civil rights <laughs> movement. Were... That's too much at once. <laughs> there were too extra. Too much. There, there were critics within the civil rights movement that didn't feel that it was like that she should be a part of it because one she was not an American citizen anymore. And she two, denounced. She denounced her American citizenship. And, and two, cares? she and she was also like she was like very well to do. She felt that like because that she was like a special case because she was so wealthy and famous that she could do whatever she wanted. You're and supposed that to use that fame well, and that she, wealth. Well, she he, did, but he they, said there were elements of it, not the entire yeah, civil rights. Yeah, that there were people that felt that, like critics who felt that she shouldn't have been. Which is important. It's it. important to hit that angle of it. I mean, you don't want to have somebody in such an important movement and then find out, you know, that 
she's really hurting the movement because of some pre-existing the, social condition. The the idea yeah. is is that they're not le- is that they're letting her do it because it's her. Did I just fucking say pre-existing social condition? You really did, and I don't think it's going to be covered. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> also, um, Steve, just to go back, you said the what's that, Ryan? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Steve, just to go back. <laughs> um, keep proper decorum. <laughs> sorry, sir. Uh, <laughs> you said that she was worried about her children becoming becoming orphans. Yeah. Why would they become orphans just because, because she led the civil rights movement? Because Martin Luther King Jr. had just been shot to death. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So this is like immediately after he's assassinated. Coretta Scott King comes to her and says, "I want you to lead the civil rights movement." And then, but Baker. She's like, "Did your husband just get fucking capped?" No, bitch. She's <laughs> like, "I I got twelve children. I don't want to leave them. <laughs> I've got." I've got I've got twelve children in a decaying castle. <laughs> oh my! I bought these twelve kids from around the world. I've got, uh, I've got twelve kids, a decaying castle, a giraffe, a couple monkeys. I got a cheetah, a bunch and a of dogs, fucking uh, collar. <laughs> Chiquita is not running as fast as she used to. The hip dysplasia is really set in. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! This lady's awesome. Uh, um, and then. Um, so at that year as well, um, Baker would lose her, would lose the Chateau uh, de Melons um, due to unpaid debts. Um, but Princess Grace would would sort of come come to her aid and offer her an apartment um, outside of Monaco in France. Prince, at, princess, super hot, Grace Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> ultra hot. Um, and, and a lot of this Baker blamed on her on her popularity. Um, she she sort of had that sort of like fading star mentality that she said you know that nobody wants her you know that they've forgotten her yeah uh, when when she would move to the um, apartment um, some of the children would move to Buenos Aires to live with uh, live with uh, uh, Bouillon and the others Bouillon Cube <laughs> and others would, would be sent to like boarding schools um, but. In order to sort of like get back on her feet again, um, she started performing um, again, like um, touring. She would perform at the Olympia in Paris, um, which is like one of the the biggest like music venues in France. And then she would also go and perform at Carnegie Hall in 1973 um, to a standing ovation. Sounds like people don't uh, don't not want her. Um, yeah, it was probably the castle. Yeah, it's, I'm thinking it's it just, was the castle. It's just that drill tweet, but instead of like candles, it's castles. Yeah, <laughs> I can't figure out how to get this budget working. <laughs> and that, and the fact that her like her ex husband was her accountant. Spend like, less on the castle. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> she um, she would perform at the Royal Variety performance um, at the London Palladium, which is like a charity gala that's held by the British royal family every year. Um, and then she would also perform at the at the Monacan Red Cross Gala in Monaco, which celebrated her 50 years um, in French show business. On April 8th, 1975, um, she started a retrospective review at the at the Bobino in Paris, 
um, called Josephine uh, Bobino, which is like Josephine at the Bobino. Um, Josephine. You gotta say it right. Josephine. She's French. Josephine. <laughs> and it was to celebrate... You make it her. sound like the average French person is just walking around over-pronouncing words constantly, <laughs> you know? Like the average French person is Josephine Baker. <laughs> like, it's just funny, because there's no way they have perfect diction, you know, like, all the time. <laughs> I just... Like, welcome to McDonald's, you know? There's only, there's only, like, two French people in my mind, and that's, like, just normal people speaking French. Yeah. Like you watch on like like the Netflix like French shows, and then like Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> <laughs> so I've Every actually watched French French drama and stuff like that from like their actual TV network and uh, yeah and stuff like that. And one of my favorite shows is actually uh, My Gre uh, M A I G R E T. Mm-hmm. It's like a detective drama. But my uncle teaches French. He's a he's a PhD in French, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've heard him speak like so. I do have that advantage. I've definitely heard him speak French, and he speaks very well. It's it's beautiful the way he speaks, but it's also not like that overpronounced thing, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> stereotype. <laughs> no 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 no. We 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 no bouquet. You know, it's not like overpronounced. <laughs> okay, it is. Okay, it is. No, it's it's not. It's it fucking is. Nah, it's not. Nah, he speaks really well. It's it's like it's like German. Like everyone says, the German German is a very angry language. But if you listen, I've watched German shows too. It's uh, angry when Americans very angry. No, dude, I'm telling you, German sounds German German sounds very flowing and and very almost. It almost sounds Italiany in in the way it hits notes. If you're a native, if you're a native speaker of German, like it does not sound angry, but you also run into the problem that like with Americans is that the way we speak is very like forceful and brusque. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it uh, just forceful sounds, and brusque. It just sounds very <laughs> angry in German, like when we speak German because it's a bit harsher than English is, like yeah. when you when you speak in those like terms. But but if you ever notice that a lot of like native like German speakers like they speak in a manner that would be considered like effeminate or like faint in English, but that's just because that's like the tone of voice you would speak German in, so you don't sound like a complete like Hitler. Yeah, you don't sound like Hitler. <laughs> Holy shit! There's all these. Uh, <laughs> it always comes back to fucking Hitler. God damn it! Listen, I'm gonna tell you what hey, German if sounds you want, like. If you I want have, the uh, like. The gold standard of like screaming in German—that is the gold standard. I'm sorry. Oh my uh, listen, God. I'm, I, I'll, I'll tell you what um what German sounds like later on this year because I got uh, floor tickets to Ramstein in Boston. Yeah. That's not Germany. Ramstein. Yeah, but you're not in Germany. No, but they sing in. No, Tim's not gonna get off stage. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> it's their it's their spoken word album. He's just gonna sit on like a he's gonna sit on a stool like a comedian and just like <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like till to the microphone. He's gonna do the Mike Wazowski, which is the one spotlight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah look at me. <laughs> That's cool though, actually. Yeah, dude, I'm super hype. September Ramstein. 6th in Boston. Ramstein. I have floor tickets. Okay, so she, she how do this, we segue from Ramstein so to Josephine this, Baker's death? Well, she has this big <laughs> review, um, and this <laughs> review is is mainly financed by by Prince Rainier, 
um, Princess Grace, and Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Um, so uh, basically, so are, Princess Kennedy, if you know you want yeah. Americans. Um, I, I believe at this point in '75, she's still married to Onassis, so she she's essentially also like Greek nobility at that. Jacqueline Aristotle um, Onassis Kennedy the <laughs> third. And the the show opens to like rave reviews. Um, there's so much demand for for seating um, that they had to put foldout chairs to add um, to add accommodation for people. Um, and, yeah. and and to give an idea of some of the guests that were there at this show, um, and so the, those folding chairs were really bad too because Orson <laughs> Welles broke three of them. <laughs> you call this a chair? <laughs> this isn't a chair. <laughs> While he's just like eating from a bag of something. <laughs> Of green green peas, yeah, of green like peas. the critic. Yes. <laughs> My Orson Welles is awful. <laughs> they even good cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that show was good. Ugh. Um, so in the opening night, um, Sophia Loren is there. Mick Jagger, um, Shirley Bassey, who is a um, she's a Count British Basies. singer. No, she's she's a Welsh singer. Oh, okay, um, never heard she, of her. She sang "Diamonds Are Forever." Isn't she the same one that did Goldfinger? I think so too. She she sang a number of the Bond themes. She's uh. actually I didn't know this, but she's actually uh, mixed race. Her father was uh, Nigerian. Huh. Really? Um, but she she was from Wales. Um, Diana Ross was there, and Liza Minnelli. What? Diana Ross is there. Jesus. So, Four, four days after this um, this review on April 12th, um, Baker is found lying peacefully in her bed, um, surrounded by newspapers with sort of like all the reviews of her performance. They were all positive. Um, she she was in a coma. She had suffered a, a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, no. Um, and soon after she was soon after being found, she was taken to um, to a hospital, and there she was announced dead. Um, uh, at on April twelfth, nineteen seventy-five, at the age of sixty-eight, um, after sort of like changing her citizenship to uh, French citizenship, and in the fifties, she had converted to um, Roman Catholicism, and she was given a full Catholic funeral um, that was held at the La Iglesia de la Madeleine, um, and she was also the only American-born woman. Um, to receive full French military honors at her funeral. Um, I thought she was the only uh, civilian to get them, but I might have been wrong. Um, and and the funeral was like a huge procession. Um, all of her children, except her one son, Akio, attended the funeral. Um, all right, listen, why did, the, why did this little prick not go? He, he had gotten, like, mad at his mom because she hadn't, like, she had missed, like, she hadn't sent like sent him anything for like Christmas, so they were. Oh my like, god! Fuck off! What? Are you serious? This kid lived in a castle, got bought it. In a, they, she bought I, him a goddamn Oldsmobile when he was like seven. What the fuck? <laughs> I, I imagine. <laughs> I would imagine it had to do with the fact, you know, that he was one of twelve children. He was living in Buenos Aires at the time. And yeah, it, it, it was, might have slipped his mom's mind a little bit. But and anyways, re- regardless, he he was a kid and he he held it against her. And he feels like kind of bad about it. Um, he should. And he his picture is the only one that is um, shown of the children at the at the castle in France, which is now a museum. It, it's not owned by her estate, um, but it is a museum like dedicated to her. And she, he is the only 
child that would allow his picture um, to be shown there because they didn't want to. They were tired of you know being sort of like trotted around. They were tired of being Josephine Baker's kids. Yeah, well, because she would do a lot of, like, photo shoots and stuff. Like, there's a lot of pictures of her with them, and they're, like, on on boats and just, like, sort of, like, running around. You know, he didn't, he didn't, they don't want to be in the Partridge family anymore, essentially. That makes sense. I want to get off Mr. Bones' wild ride. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All all of the children still keep in touch with each other, and they all say that they still, like, love and care for each other. Um How'd that estate go? Did they, uh, I, th- I think I asked earlier, it was a little premature. So they end up, uh, was she wealthy at, at her death? I don't, I don't think so. Cause she had, she had been mostly like destitute during that period. And her, her review had to be like paid for by, by her right. friends. Who the, who the fuck owned her like back catalog? Probably the record company considering the, the era. Oh my God. Um, so after, after a family service at, at St. Charles Church in Monte Carlo, um, she was interred at uh, Monaco's uh, Cemetery de Monaco, which is the only cemetery in Monaco, apparently. Really? <laughs> yeah, Monaco's like really small. It, it's yeah, just I mean, like, I know it's really small, but damn, the only cemetery there. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, like, I guess if you can't get in there, you have to get buried in France. Now, I think if you die in Monaco and you can't get in there, they just throw you in the fucking ocean. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just been lying to you. Uh, and, uh, by the way, if you get thrown in the ocean and you go like that, then you just go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's no coming back. You're going to hell. Because Monaco's only, like, I want to say it's, like, only, like, two miles long. If that. Um, you can walk it. Yeah, because they, the, they do the the F1 race in Monaco. And it's like the the track is like two and a half miles, two miles, two and a half, something like that. Yeah, the the island can, or the island it just it can't be that big. Yeah, because I'm looking at right now and it is like it is like two miles. So like, because like they have like I think the cathedral uh, in Monaco is like the only like the only like cathedral in Monaco. <laughs> That's all you like, got. You, uh, down the road from the Cathedral de Monaco, you have uh, McDonald's de Monaco, <laughs> and you have uh, Publix de Monaco. <laughs> oh, my God. Coming they pops soon. up. Welcome, sir. <laughs> this is Big Lots de Monaco. And TJ Maxx de Monaco. I went to Big Lots today for the first time in my life. Oh, you've never been to Big Lots before? Yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's terrible, but it's also hit and miss. You I liked it. Cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I go in, like it. I bought some new chucks today at Ross. It's like thirty bucks. It's pretty cheap. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like hit or miss. It's sort of like how Five Below is. Yeah, Five Below's Five Below's fantastic. I, I have like severe. I'd say, I'd say Five Below's better, but yeah. I, I, you know, Five Below's berries. What's that? I miss Stephen Berries. Oh my god, what the hell is that? Do you remember? Oh my god, they alright, so they used to have when I lived in Orlando at the not the Mall of Millennia, um Fuck, one of the malls had a Stephen Berry's store. Okay. And the Stephen Berry's gimmick was five dollars or less all their clothes. And the out of season clothes or I'm sorry, and the in season clothes could be like, I don't know, maybe seven, ten bucks you'd pay for T shirts, hoodies, jeans, um, shoes, uh, long sleeves. You know who could have used that? Store. Josephine Baker's kids. Because <laughs> they have no money because the record company ran off with their profits. 
Nah, Stephen Barry's was great though, but they I, they closed down. I guess they went bankrupt. No surprise, he's selling everything for five fucking dollars. Yeah, it's like they're closed. It's like fucking ball. Crazy Eddie, you know. These prices are so low. <laughs> I hope to. No, it's like that episode of uh, of Rick and Morty. I hope, I hope they're not. I too hope low. they're not too low. Yeah, <laughs> just so good. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch that shit right after this episode. Oh my god. So. To sum it up, uh, Josephine Baker, Baker was, was a woman, a woman of, of contrast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, she's a very interesting figure, very much of her time. Um, she is. Okay, let me see. Let me see if I can do this. Let me see if I can do this because Steve usually does this. Let me see if I can do this. Josephine Baker was not only a resistance fighter, a vaudeville dancer, singer, and beloved by lots of people, including. But not limited to Sophia Loren, Mick Jagger, Diane Ross, was Grace Kelly, multiple princes, Baron, Vanilla, Vanilla Ice, Ice <laughs> Rob Van Winkle, uh, Beyonce is a big Beyonce. Fan. Pretty much, While she I think had she some was questionable relationships with her children. Almost, she still did good. She's almost the Jungian uh, archetype all these, of all these Beyonce. Famous, all these famous women like adopting, like right. Baker's dozens of children. <laughs> Josephine Baker's dozens. <laughs> Josephine Baker's dozens of children. That's oh it. my! There's oh the title: my. Josephine Baker's dozens. No, of we're children. not doing that. But I'll definitely, <laughs> yes, I'll definitely make that the intro. Hi, <laughs> uh, welcome Josephine to the podcast, <laughs> Josephine Baker's dozens. I, so I'm pretty sure, just just to go back, that the family probably does have the rights to her music, because to license her works is through CMG Worldwide. Which seems like a general like consulting agency that that sort of like is like a middleman. Yeah, I'm sure they they either went to court or they had something because I mean you know not that she's like you know not that people are grubbing for those MP3s right now you know. And don't don't the kids usually get like judged a- in favor? A- apparently, they started out prote- representing and protecting Norman Rockwell's artwork. For what the uh, for the uh, New Hampshire Rockwells. For yeah. Sam Rockwell <laughs> and Rodney Rockwell. <laughs> well, that's really awesome. So I didn't know anything about her. Now I know a bunch about her. When I first saw her picture, yeah. she was she really reminded me of um, uh, like the art that's in Elder Sign. Yeah, like, she she in a lot of her pictures, she has like a bad case of like. Betty Boop hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, in a lot of her later pictures. Well, that like, was the style, like right? Betty, like, yeah, but like, hers is like, like very much like, like she always had like a very exaggerated like hairstyle where it was like, because there, because there are other people they attribute to like having like the Betty Boop hair, and it's it's usually like, like just sort of like curly hair, but she had legit like. It, like I feel it's almost like cosplay hair, you know what I mean? Yeah. I absolutely do. Yeah. Like it when, looks when like she, she gets... used way too much soul glow on her hair is what it looks like she did. Well she's essentially like one of it's the like... biggest fashion icons for for, yeah, for yeah. the uh, African American. Of course. It was like part of her, her performing. Because if you look at her like when she's older, like she just has like like a normal like haircut for the time. Like she just has like like, if you look at her, like, in the 60s, there's a lot of pictures of her from, like, the early 60s. 
and she just looks like the lady. She down, has like, like a regular old lady haircut. Right. It's not even a lady haircut. It's just like a very like average like haircut. Um, but she does like. There's a picture of her on the Wikipedia page for her that's from like from when she was in Havana, and like she she also has like it's a very like an exaggerated like like sort of haircut where she just has like a giant like pulled back ponytail it looks like very like like late 80s right yeah she's uh that's definitely really interesting so she's definitely a fine you know one character. thing we really didn't cover here at the end might be the worst possible place for me to ask you this uh is did, did what kind of actionable intelligence did she provide like do we even know I don't I don't think we really know, but she she mostly provided information about like troop movements and things like that. I mean she must have so given something like, something good because to be given the the Croix de Guerre is like that's not like something they just they don't hand that shit out like Nabisco wafers. Her yeah. Panties. <laughs> yeah. Well that's what I mean. Like so smuggling I, intel in the panties is, is one thing, but I mean like what kind of things I guess it's like one of those things too where a lot of people in World War Two never really talked about what they did. Well, it, it's also the thing too, you have to remember that like the Free French probably didn't have a very extensive like intelligence network. You know, they don't have somebody like they don't have like the British like code crackers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they don't. They, so they don't have. And like Charles de Gaulle was like very much like a French nationalist. So the, the idea, like, the, the idea that the he, OSS and shit like that, right? So just even the idea that he had to rely on like the British and the Americans for help was like insufferable to him. Like he was, he was always at odds with them. He was always like, like arguing with them about things. Um, he he always felt like they weren't like giving him enough. So like, I, I'm sure just like having his own like personal like superstar like spy was like the greatest thing in the world to him. Got it. So they are you saying that they may have overdone it or? No, I I, I don't think they overdid it because a lot of intelligence is very like questionable it, it's a it well, it's, it's also like a quantity over quality thing i wouldn't say it's questionable i would say it's mostly just mundane stuff. okay it's like the the germans the germans are moving troops to here right here we're gonna they're gonna start an offensive at this time there's germans like, in berlin or it's like <laughs> like like things too like the guy like the guy who warned stalin about operation barbarossa um he was a um he sorg he was like a he was like a German, like newspaper man in in Japan, and he overheard about the Japanese talking about that Barbarossa was going to happen, and he sent it back to like Stalin, and Stalin didn't believe him. So it's just it's just stuff like that, like oh they're planning an offensive, or, or this is going to happen, like at this. Oh okay, all right. So so just like just like general stuff like that. I don't I don't think she's like here's the plans for like the german like heavy water like research facility (laughs) i found it i was singing in a club and this guy walks up to me and i and i said do you know anything about the german heavy water research facility and he said let me tell you what's a dame like you know about the german heavy water research facility (laughs) oh my god but i can tell you something what i do know about I do know about the running prowess of our field. <laughs> she, she would. Uh, she would That's a throwback, guys. That's what's called a throwback in the she base. She would. Uh, she would have Chiquita knock them out, and then sort of like 
work them over in the back. You know, room. you never really mentioned the fate of her cheetah. Chiquita, like the yeah, banana. You never, yeah, her, yeah, it's look, a cheetah, right? It's cheetah. a cheetah, right? Yeah, you yeah. never really mentioned the cheetah. I didn't say. I said you never mentioned the fate of her cheetah, not the name. We need to know what happened to Chiquita the cheetah. <laughs> yeah, what happened well, you, to Chester? You called her. You called her Richita. No, what? I didn't. But I, it probably it might have came off that way because I've been mumbling all day. I'm fucking tired. But uh, the. Uh, Chiquita. Wait, what yeah, happened to damn Cheetah? I, I I haven't been able to find anything about what happened to her. Wow, God that's interesting. She was in a sanctuary. She went to a farm upstate. I think they ate her. You know. <laughs> <laughs> in Mona- in in Monaco in Monaco <laughs> Monaco <laughs> Cheetah is a God. delicacy. <laughs> okay. And on that, <laughs> we're out. I was trying to find out what happened to her oh. cheetah. Well, Ryan, I can. Apparently, it died. In, apparently, it died in 1936. Is it cheetah have a Wikipedia page? No, I just found a page, <laughs> and they said it died in 1936. All right, we'll call that. I, that, that sounds accurate. Right, we'll call that. After many maulings, Chiquita the cheetah died in 1936. She was a cat it's of so many weird. contrasts. <laughs> <That cheetah. laughs> Chiquita was a cat. Let's just say that Chiquita was worth her spots. Uh, Later. Alright, guys. Alright, later. Later.